Well, hey, Central, I'm excited to kick off this brand new series that we've entitled Why Missions. If you've been around Central for any length of time, then you've heard us say that we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. And here's the cool reality of that. That doesn't just pertain to right here in San Jose, not just to right here in the United States. But man, we believe that God's a big God and his radical grace is available to everyone. And, and part of our, our, our mission is to help people all around the globe find and follow Jesus. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to be wrestling with this question, why missions? Like, like what is missions? And, uh, and this week, I'm excited to kick off this series uh, with an amazing speaker, Roger Edrington. Roger Edrington has served right here at Central as a lead pastor, uh, was the vice president of San Jose Bible College, also a professor there and led, led many efforts for the Bible College, uh, served as a missionary to England, um, and he's gone on many short-term missions trips, just really has a heart for God. God's house, not only here in San Jose, but all around the world. And as uh, David and I were, were contemplating, man, this, this missions series, this why missions, we thought, man, no one better to kick off this, this, this series than Roger Edrington. And, and as you're going to notice, uh, Roger's not only amazing communicator. Uh, I tell Roger this all the time. I think he carries this mantle of like a, like a father figure to the house of, of God's people. And, and, and so I just invite you, as Roger shares, uh, lean in. Uh, maybe hear from, from a father figure, maybe from a, a grandfather figure, depending on your, your age, uh, of God's heart for missions, not only right here in the Bay, but all around the world. So let's lean in, take some notes. There's a lot of good stuff coming at you today. Here's Roger Eddington. Well, welcome to our Global Outreach Weeks. I'm Roger Edrington, and I'm wearing this rather flamboyant vest today because it was a gift to me from my friends in India. And I just wanted to represent some peoples from around the world as we think about this important topic. This is the first of three weeks to help us understand and respond to Jesus' final words to followers of Jesus. Now, People's last words when they leave us are really important. And Jesus' last words on earth are especially important. His words are a command which stem from his absolute authority. And the theme of this series is why missions? And we answer this question with Jesus' very own words. In Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, then Jesus came to them, that is, his disciples, those who were following him, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, that is, as you go, make disciples, make learners, people who follow me, people of all nations, all ethnic groups, all races, all countries, baptizing them, initiating them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them. Don't, don't leave the people that you make disciples out of. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I'm with you always. Jesus will be with us in the form of the Holy Spirit to the very end of the age. Now today, I want to talk about words. I want to use words to talk about words. Because words have the power to change things, for good or for ill. 
I wonder if you've been changed by words, just sounds that come out of the mouth, just breath that goes over your vocal cords and, and your tongue touches it and, and, and it comes out, just, just words. Because words may have ripped your heart to pieces by someone who said something hateful. Or words may have pried your heart open by someone who said something kind and encouraging to you. Words may have stirred you to action, to go get a job, to to take a risk, to go out for a team, or to do something significant in your life. Words can bring life-changing news. You're pregnant. That'll change everything, believe me. Your child is seriously ill. You've just won $5 million. You've inherited it. And we are entering a global pandemic. Words change us. Words can express deep human desires and commitments. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When we hear the words, I have a dream, they reverberate all over our land. When someone said to you, will you marry me? It changed your life, whether you said yes or whether you said no. And when you first understood those words, Jesus loves you and is giving you the opportunity to start your life all over again. It changed your life forever. Tiny little words can make a huge difference in people's lives. Perhaps then it's not surprising that the Apostle John described Jesus as the Word, the Word, the communication of God, the one who takes the message of Almighty God and communicates it to us on earth, and yet is still God. The word takes something in God's mind and and God's heart and communicates it to us through Jesus' life, through Jesus' actions, and Jesus' words. Jesus is the word who became flesh. And he shows us especially that he was full of grace and truth. And we need both those things. I wonder how Peter's life was changed when Jesus said those simple words to him, come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I wonder how that hated traitor Matthew felt when when Jesus told him to, to leave his tax collecting table and follow me. Those words have power. Nicodemus's life was changed forever when Jesus told him, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And a lonely, rejected woman at the well just came to get water, could, could never be the same when she heard this stranger she later learned with Jesus. And, and he said these puzzling words to her that he would give her living water so that she would never be thirsty again. Or what about those two dejected men on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had been killed? They didn't recognize that the stranger that they'd been walking and talking to was Jesus. They they didn't know it was the resurrected Lord until they broke bread together. And after 
Jesus departed, they, they looked back and, and they remembered the stirring power of Jesus' words and, and the words of scriptures that really came over to them. These words made their hearts burn. Words burn in our hearts and they change lives. So what's your story with words? I mean, did someone tell you the greatest story ever told and it changed your life forever? How did it happen? I mean, was it somebody you met at school? Was it, was it a member of your family or a neighbor who invited you to come hear words that you'd never heard before? Or did you pick up maybe a dusty copy of this book, the Bible, and you read in it words that changed your life forever? Or perhaps for someone hearing my words today, you're, you're listening and you're wondering, could this be the truth? Could, could this really be the words that change my life forever? And yet, what if somebody knew these words but decided not to speak these words to you? You know, I keep hearing people say, you know, uh, nobody ever told me the message of Jesus until I was like 30 or 40 or 50 years old, old even. And here in San Jose, where we have just about everything we need, we have Bibles, we have Bible apps, we have Christian TV, we have churches all around and online. And there are Christian concerts, Christian conferences, Christian bookstores, well, or at least there used to be. And yet, can you believe that people right here in San Jose have never heard the words of the gospel? It's true. They, they haven't heard a clear, honest presentation of the good news of Jesus. Do your neighbors understand this message? Have they had a fair shot at hearing the message? Do they know anymore that, well, he used to be gone somewhere on Sunday morning? Do your coworkers have a clue about the message which changed your life? What about those in your family? Sure, they know you're involved in church, but have they had the same opportunity that you've had to actually understand those words? How about the person who sits next to you in class or, or more likely in the Zoom or the WebEx uh, uh, square next to you? Do they know those words of life? How about the person who's never once been in a church building for a regular service, never, never once read a portion of the Bible for herself, never once had you or anybody else explain the gospel in words that they could understand? How are they going to hear what's so good about the good news of Jesus? Who's going to walk across the room and let her hear the life-changing message of Jesus? Who's going to walk across the street and let your neighbor have the same opportunity you have? Who's going to walk across the hall and, and find a friend in the dark and actually show them the light? Will it be you? We believe that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes. But how will they hear? In one of the most complex passages in the whole New Testament, Paul asks some simple rhetorical questions which Christians must answer. It's from Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and following. He says, how then can they call on the one 
they have not believed in. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How will they hear? Who is going to get the message to people so that they can actually put their trust in Jesus and turn their lives around and and receive God's great salvation? Someone either has to walk across the street or fly around the world. Now, all of us can walk across the street or pick up a phone or start a Zoom call with non-believing friends. Christina Kennedy from our church here, she started a Zoom call with her friends and now a group of them are studying the Bible. Some are from local area here and some are from far away. We're summoned by Jesus to give people the opportunity to hear the word of God and see the results in our life. But for those who don't live nearby, that will happen in only one of two ways. Either you go and somebody sends you or somebody else goes and you send them. So are you a sender or a goer or both? I'm afraid there is one other option too, and that's that you're not involved in sharing the message at all. And that's the saddest option. The question then is, are you going? Are you going to be involved in what God has called all followers of Jesus to be involved in? We have to decide whether we will be partners with God in this great mission of his to reach the whole globe for Christ. So let's first talk about go. Go, we believe Jesus' final commission. But well before that, when he spoke this to his disciples, Jesus sent them out on some training missions to help them develop their trust in him. Jesus sent his disciples to go in a variety of ways. And in one of their first missions out on their own, Jesus tells them this. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, that is your money belts. No bag for the journey or or extra shirt or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his hire. Now, the mission is always the same. Preach the word of Christ and do the works of Jesus. There are two methods of provision for global outreach partners. The first method of provision is God will provide the means. God will provide. Don't take any money. Don't take any extra provisions. God will take care of you. And sometime later, Jesus reviewed this experience with them. And and Jesus asked them, he said, uh, when I sent you out without any purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, no, we, we didn't lack anything. So when God says, go out with nothing, He will provide the means. But later, Jesus says this. He says, now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. And that's the second method of provision. They need to go well prepared. 
We don't know exactly what's changed in their situation, but, but God calls people in different situations to do mission in different ways. It's one mission, but many missionary strategies. People today use both methods of provision. Some are well-prepared. They go with committed monthly support, their lives are insured, their health is insured, and their retirement is being secured. They have solid theological education, and perhaps they have some practical skills that they can also use to get a local job and relate to the community that way. They're seemingly prepared for all eventualities. Others go with no provision. Now this is less popular today for obvious reasons, but they go with no committed money, no insurance, just the assurance of God. And some even go with little or no training, though I don't think that was Jesus' method because he trained his disciples very well. But each sent person must listen to the specific word of God for them. Just because Jesus tells one person to do it one way doesn't mean that it's a universal truth for all time. And though we tend to think of those as living on faith that go with no provision, both those ways of provision should be living on faith, trusting God in reality. To go without training when God calls you to be well prepared is not faith. To require a retirement fund when God calls you to go without it is not faith either. When I first heard the call to go to mission in England, I planned not to talk to anybody about finances. I wanted to stretch my faith. And I had just read George Mueller's diary. George Mueller was from England and he had a, an orphanage of many hundred children. And he determined that he was only going to ask God for his provisions, never other people. And sometimes the children, you know, these hundreds of children had no food at all. The cupboards were bare. And just then the bread truck would, would break down right outside their orphanage and the guy would come and say, look, I, I can't use this bread. Can you use it today? And God always provided for him. And I thought that that would be the way it would be with me. Just as I was eating my last slice of bread, a check for $5 would arrive in the mail. But while I was in seminary preparing, a friend there who was a, a minister of a small church in Indiana, he said to me, I hear you're going to England to, to spread the gospel of Jesus there. Would you like somebody to support you? And I was like, well, you know, uh, you know, I didn't want to break what I determined with God. And he added, well, our church wants to consider supporting you, and there's another church nearby that may join us. And I went and I talked to them, but I didn't request any money. And they provided $125 a month, and the other church provided the same. And God provided for me for 12 years without ever asking for money. I just responded when people asked about what I was doing. He provided differently, though, than I expected, but I was never once without. Now, every believer must listen to the voice of God. The call is not just for special followers of Jesus. You know, special believers listen to the voice of God while others just read the Bible and do whatever they want. No, listening to God, following 
Jesus is what being a disciple is. Does God want me to carry out my mission here or in another place? Across the street or around the world? To go or not to go? That's the question. And yet for many, to go or not to go is not a question at all. It's never asked. But how are we going to hear God's answers if we never ask him any questions? Disciples learn the will of the master as they, they talk to him and they're open to his direction. Now, why don't some people ask the question? I suspect fear is the biggest reason. Fear that God is going to make me do something awful. After all, that's what God is like. He, he makes people do things they don't want to do. And he'll probably ask me to do something crazy and, and I'll be like Jonah and run the other way. If I don't ask, I won't be like Jonah. Now this is, of course, a misconception about who God is. God is our Father. He loves us. He, he provides what we need. And some of us need challenge instead of comfort. And others of us, God will provide the comfort and more security that we need. Our Father knows what you need before you even ask. But you don't know what you need before you ask. What does God want from you? Another reason I think we don't ask the question to go or not to go is because we were just never challenged to ask the question for ourselves. We will never hear, hear that question, you know, ask out in our culture. So perhaps you haven't even considered asking the question. Ask God and see what he wants. Now, you've probably all heard a missionary speak sometime about the area to which he was sent. And he will show you a picture of his mud hut and the only running water is a crocodile-infested river. And he'll tell you about the mosquitoes that seem as big as your hand and, and the spiders really are as big as your hand. And then someone will raise their hand in the back and ask a question and they'll say, how can you give up so much? And he will say, you know, I haven't really given up anything at all. It's more important to be where God wants you to be, to be in God's will than for all the comforts in the world. 30 years ago, I sat with a missionary in a fancy hotel in Manila. It was an unlikely place for him or me to be. His ministry was with those who lived on the garbage heaps in Manila. And he was seeing a great response from this people, this, this people group there. But his words about missionaries from the West were stinging. He said, we would not expect significant church planting among the Asian squatter areas from the affluent West. Affluence makes it too hard to live among the poor. We are so interested in our comfort and safety that often we won't take the risks that God calls us to take. But doing the will of God is always more important than comfort. And I wonder if some of us merely need to ask that question today. God, am I where you want me to be or do you want me to go somewhere else? Young people, retired folks, mid-career people all need to consider God's will. Don't just think that following Jesus, your life will always be the same, that he will never make a change in your life. 
And I'm glad that some of our people, quite a few of our people, have considered the call. And, and some have responded to go on short-term missions and some for long-term missions. We've supported some missionaries for almost 40 years. So how will they hear? We must go. Also, how will they hear? We must send. We must send. Because sending means resources. First, we send our financial resources. It's clear that the Christian world has many resources at its disposal. But the money in the world is largely in the hands of Western Christians of all sorts. But there's doubt whether it will be used and shared out wisely as God wants it. And although Christians of any stripe are about 33% of the world's population, we control 68% of the world's wealth. And this is a great stewardship responsibility, which I fear is being squandered. Of the 68% of the world's wealth, we use 99% on ourselves, and 1% goes to church and charities. And 5% of that 1% actually goes to international missions. Is it possible that the very thing we call the blessing of God, our wealth, could be to the detriment of God's mission in the world? Of course, it wouldn't be the first time that a rich man was called to give what he had to the poor, and he walked away full of sorrow, turning away from following Jesus. We also send people resources, of course. One of the most exciting developments in world mission is third world Christians. Many are, are no longer just receiving nations, but they're also sending nations. Some of the most effective missionaries in the world are from countries other than the West, especially in view of the declining respect for Americans in some parts of the world. Latinos and Filipinos are, are sending missionaries to Arab states. Our church supports Jeff and Kathy Phillips in Chile. Chilean Christians, though, now are going to Ecuador and Peru and far away to Iraq with the Kurdish people there. Koreans are sending missionaries all over the world now. Third world missionaries are about 52% of all missionaries, more than Europe and North America combined. And this comes at a time of unprecedented missionary challenges as the church redefines its missionary strategy in global terms. And some of the missionaries from the third world are actually coming to the USA to minister sometimes to their own cultural group, people who've immigrated here, and sometimes to natural-born Americans like me. And we're in danger of becoming a country who needs more missionaries than it sins. It's happened before in England where the modern missionary movement began with a cobbler, a shoemaker, William Carey. Christianity is very ill and in need of reinforcements. Europe was one of the neediest mission fields in the world. I returned uh, from teaching pastors in India in this February, just before the pandemic hit the U.S. in earnest. Out of India's 1.3 billion people, only 2.3% are Christians of some kind or the other. 82% are Hindus, 
13% are Muslims. World mission will only get done if we work together. We can't think in terms of doing it all by ourselves. Americans are used to sometimes working in these powerful Western ways and getting a few local people to sort of help us with the mission. But we always hold the money and the power. But we will have to learn to release the power to mature nationals and live out our servant approach to missions. We're partners in mission with followers of Jesus all over the world. And yet the third world missionary movement has actually shown that they will do it with or without our partnership. They're not gonna be stopped and often on very little money. And yet whose money is that that you hold in your hands, in your bank accounts, in your properties, in your stocks, in your bonds? Is it yours or is it God's? Now the fact is that we have great resources And so we have great responsibilities. Jesus told us that to whom much is given, much is required. Some of my Indian friends, evangelists and pastors with little or no outside support and very little biblical education are spreading the word of God in very difficult circumstances. They travel through treacherous rivers during monsoons to preach the gospel. One almost drowned uh, a few months ago. And they reach animists who worship rocks and trees and sacrifice their chickens, pigs, and goats to please and placate the spirits on stakes like in this picture. Some new believers are run out of the village because they've followed Jesus. But lives are being changed there because these keen Indian workers are willing to learn languages other than their own and face huge obstacles because the gospel has changed their lives and they want to share it with other people. So all Christians must be mobilized for sharing the message if the message is going to get out. It's estimated that 90% of the church is not mobilized for evangelism, for mission at all. (laughs) Imagine what it would be like in your workplace if 90% of the people did no work at all. Uh, Maybe that's true in some of your workplaces, I don't know. But we need everybody involved in the keen work, that task of world mission, sharing the good news of Jesus to the world. There are many closed countries in the world today, closed to traditional missionaries. And so some will need to go as tent makers in closed countries. You remember the apostle Paul, he made tents to make a living so that he could do his main purpose of sharing the gospel with others. And we need people who have practical skills and can witness to the gospel. We need people in medical and technical and education fields who will do their jobs while their main goal is to spread the good news of Jesus. Some of you have highly technical skills that are needed elsewhere, perhaps even more than here. And you could make a huge difference in a small mission rather than a small difference in a huge business. India is one of those closed countries. Every time I go to uh, teach pastors there and I go through passport control, I'm praying that they won't just send me back home. And when I return to passport control, I'm praying they won't stamp my passport not to return. 
But the only way people will be reached long-term is by people with skills and regular jobs going into these countries. Traditional long-term missionaries cannot go in these capabilities. An estimated 83% of the world's non-Christian population reside in countries closed to traditional missionary approaches. That's approximately 5.5 billion unreachable people by traditional missionary methods. I know it's hard to think about global outreach now in this pandemic when travel is severely limited. We will all have to rethink mission, just as churches have had to rethink what the church is during this pandemic. We need more people who can spread the gospel through the internet. We need developers who can produce content which can travel anywhere there's a cellular connection. And some of you can be sent in mission and still live right here. Some can go and set up facilities in a few weeks or a month or two and make a huge difference in another place. But many are still on the outside of the digital divide. Perhaps 50% still have no connection to the internet. So we still need people who are willing to sacrifice their lifestyle for a more significant life in mission. God so loved the United States? No, God so loved the world that he gave his son. You've probably all heard this phrase that's become a classic in world mission. Jim Elliott was one of five American missionaries killed in their attempt to evangelize the Wiorani people of Ecuador. But he knew the lessons of losing and gaining. He famously said this, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And we need to be willing to let go of some things, to, to, to lose some things that we cannot keep. First of all, let go of your money. You're going to lose it anyway. Uh, why not invest it in something important? I mean, most of us have wasted plenty of money. Why not invest it in sharing the gospel? Here at Central, we've been supporting global outreach partners in various parts of the world for over 80 years. And 10% of every dollar that you give to the general fund actually goes to world mission. And many of us designate additional money to a specific missionary or to, to the missions team to sort of allocate it how they want. And you can still do that. And I'm sure that many of you also give additional money to missions that is never counted here. And like our family, you probably sponsor children for education and schooling and health through Christian organizations, or, or you help provide clean water for people who don't have access. But today, I'd like to ask you to consider giving even more generously and to count on God to provide what you need. You will never lose when you give to others. You will only gain what you cannot lose. Secondly, let go of your children. And your grandchildren. I know, I know, I know. We want them close. My granddaughters are two and a half hours away, and, and that seems too far. 
But do we need to keep giving the children the message that they must spend their lives preparing to make lots of money so they can live comfortably and accumulate a lot of things and be happy? Many Christian young people want to make a difference in the world. And we can encourage them to listen to God's call. We need to be preparing our children to care for the world, to so that the world would hear the good news of Jesus. And instead of grooming them to be rich, powerful, perhaps even selfish people. Thirdly, let go of your narrow vision of the world. Expand your vision. Make friends with some people of another ethnic group, of another race. Listen to them. Hear what God is putting in their heart. Or just listen to them and learn their culture. Have international college students in your home. I mean, inter many international students spend three or four years here in the United States and never once go into an American home. This is a mission field at our doorstep. Work with the local international campus ministries that, that we support here. Some, uh, a few years ago, adopted uh, some students from China for home visits. And eventually, uh, they came to church. And, and then they decided they wanted to go to a Chinese church where they could understand things a little bit more. And they became followers of Jesus, and they took the word of Jesus back to China with them. Go on a short-term or a long-term mission. Pray as a family for various countries, global outreach workers and, and needs. Ask God to do something special in that country. Learn about the country, its customs, and its, and its cultures. So what are you going to do with your one precious life? The Lord said this to Isaiah the prophet in chapter 49. It's too small a thing. It's too tiny for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the nations that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. To the churches of San Jose, the Lord may be saying it's too small a thing. It's too small a thing for you to just restore the lost people of San Jose and, and to minister to the Christians in your church, I will also make you a light for the nations, for the ethnic groups, for the races, for the countries all over the world, that you, you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for that great commission. It's a big challenge to every one of us. But we love you enough that we're going to take our part, Lord. We're going to do something for you. And I just pray for each person here that we would be mobilized to reach people nearby and far away. Help us, Lord, to be part of that great group of people who are going and are sending people into mission. It's in the powerful name of Jesus 